Time now for the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast, the podcast that is unique just like all the others you listen to. The only thing that truly sets this one apart is your host has an ADHD-driven mind with a splash of bipolar tendencies. Now sit back, relax, put on your safety harness, and let's get this party started. We've got all treats and no tricks on this post-Halloween, halloween edition of the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast. What's up, everybody? Josh Belcher here. Uh, first on deck, we've got living legend, bluegrass phenom, Doyle Lawson of Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver talking with us. He was kind enough to uh, speak with us for a little bit. He's bringing his band Friday, December 6th to Franklin, Tennessee at the Franklin Theater. They're going to be performing. Uh, Check their website as well as uh, social media to find information and get some tickets. We discuss his 40-year-plus career in bluegrass music, um, his new album recently released called Live in Prague, and how he feels about the fate of bluegrass as it moves into the future. And that's all right here next on the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast. Here we go. Let me just go ahead and say, Mr. Doyle Lawson, it's a thrill of a lifetime to get to speak to you. I've been a fan most of my life, if not all of it, as long as I can remember. I just wanted to be able to tell you that you are to bluegrass music what Superman is to comic books, and thank you for taking the time. Oh, well, I'll tell you what. You're making me have to walk tall, <laughs> but thank you. Uh, yes, sir. Um, you know, you're coming to Franklin, Tennessee, my hometown, December 6th, to play at that beautiful Franklin Theater. I saw it on the thing and, and was like, maybe I can get an opportunity to speak with him, and here you are. Just just a total honor to just be uh, just speaking with you this evening. So, uh, like I said, thank you so much. Well, it's my pleasure, Josh. Absolutely my pleasure. Yes, sir. And then, uh, you know, I've been listening to this uh, live in Prague, which is uh, – I saw it hadn't been out very long, and one thing I really liked about it is in the intro, the gentleman doesn't speak English, and then he he gives the band name, and everybody goes crazy, and that just shows (laughs) how much of an impact you've brought to bluegrass and taking music that started in our beloved home state of Tennessee and just taking it all over the world. So that's just a great feeling, and and, and that's got to be awesome to be able to do that. And thank you for keeping the legacy alive. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, it is... uh... It's wonderful to to know how how widespread our, our music we call bluegrass has become, and uh, you know we we started uh, bluegrass as we know it. I know Mister Monroe had he had the bluegrass boys, uh, you know, back in the oh the late thirties after he his brother Bill separated. But but bluegrass as we know it really came together with when the with the addition of, of the legendary, of course, the Webster of the banjo, Earl Scruggs, you know, and that yes, sir. that that kind of uh, brought all the pieces together with with the with the combination of uh, Bill Monroe, Lester Flatt, Earl Scruggs, Chubby Wise, and and Cedric Rainwater, and uh, that that kind of became the blueprint of of what became known as bluegrass music, and and. Uh, uh, at first, other than, uh, you know, Monroe had notoriety. He was on the Opry, and then later on, of course, Lester and Earl went on. But by and large, uh, our music was uh, somewhat regional, and a lot of, for the most part, a lot of country music was as well. But we fast forward now since the, uh, since those days, and we're looking at 
uh, well, soon to be 2020, and to see how far it, that it has come and how far it has spread uh, uh, throughout the world is yes, uh, sir. is just amazing. And uh, you know, I've I've been at this for a pretty good while myself. I started in the early 60s, well, 1963. Professionally, I'd played around home before that, but uh, I started working as a pro in, in 1963. And I can tell you the changes and, and the, uh, the the widespread of the audiences throughout the world, and uh, it, it's pretty awesome. And uh, sometimes I, I stumble and fumble around for words to express uh, just what it means to me to see that this music that started in uh, more or less the, you know the South and uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, North Carolina, you know the the Southern states, the, the Georgia, places like that, uh, and then see where it started and where where it's, where it is now is pretty doggone impressive. Yes, sir. Because you you can talk to anybody, a true lover of music, and I like how young people now, uh, younger than myself, of course, have gravitated to it. And just uh, you know, it's it, it's one thing I've always hoped that it would stay alive because you know it comes from our ancestors over across the sea, from their their Celtic roots all the way to how we kind of put the appellation twist on it uh, uh, to now. And it just it's important to see the the fire still burning. And you know, like I said, you were talking about doing it a long time. That was one of my questions for you. Um, you know, still doing it, and, and, and I mean, what makes you what makes you still want to do it after all this time? What keeps it fun and interesting for you? Well, what what makes me still want to do it is what made me want to do it in the first place. That, uh-huh. Because it's for the love of the music. It just, yes, sir. You know, when I was uh, around five years old or so, I, I heard uh, Mr. Bill Monroe on the Opry, and, my, and I didn't know who it was, but it was different. And my mother, my mother told me who it was. She said it, it was. That he was a big man. He he played a mandolin and he a mandolin and he could sing really high. And uh, well, I said, I want to do that when I grow up. I mean, it, I really the the music. Uh, of course, the music in those days we had the stars were Red Foley, Eddie Arnold, and uh, Roy Acuff, and Hank Williams, and Ernest Tubb, and the. You still there? Well, that would have been that would have been about 1949 or so, and uh, so I don't know who was in the band at the time. All I know is that that his voice and his that mandolin just captivated me, and I, I fell in love with the music. And uh, and then later, not too long after that, my my father brought home two. Two old seventy-eight RPM records, because they were new records, and it was by Lester Flat and Earl Scruggs, and uh, that was the first two bluegrass records we had in our home. So I got bit by the what became bluegrass early on, and I, I've I've never stopped loving it. And you know, obviously, the music's going to music's going to change somewhat over the years, uh, it, because time doesn't stand still; it moves on. And with the passing of time, also brings the the uh, the occurrence of change somewhat, which is good. Uh, and I've I've always been uh, progressive thinking, and I think progress is a wonderful thing. 
so long as you don't give up more than you get. So that is, you have to be careful about that. But uh, I'm, I'm, t- I'm thrilled today, in, in addition to the people that are playing uh, wider than what we would consider a traditional brand of music, uh, we also have some young, upcoming bands that have uh, that have studied the traditional style, and they're coming out with and it's it's traditional, but it's fresh, and uh, and they're starting to write their own material or find songs that would adapt to uh, to traditional bluegrass. So, in my opinion, that helps kind of balance it out and keep keep the roots of tradition and uh, and our sense of values intact. So it's a good thing. And, I, you know, change will occur. I believe in innovation, but I'm also pleased to see that there are some young kids, young bands that are, that are, uh, that put great, great emphasis on the traditional style of bluegrass. Yes, sir. I was here at a local show uh, a couple of years back, and there was a young guy. He was singing about a mule and a plow. And one of the the seasoned guys said, "What what in the world do you know about a mule?" And he said, "Well, for starters, I'm looking at one." <laughs> <laughs> you well know, but, yeah. But like you said, you know, I, I've listened to some younger groups, and they're they're keeping the tradition alive, and they're just, you know, they they they're talking about what they what they know or or yeah. what they've heard. But you, you know, like you said, you got to be progressive, but you gotta you gotta keep it kind of original as well. Well, you know, the the thing that I've noticed is is that even though they're playing in a style that that originated long before they were even born. They they do have they realize that that it that is the heart and soul of where this music was and it still is. And there's room for both. There's room for those the, the young bands to come along and play the traditional approach to music. I encourage that. And uh, you know the. You know, uh, there's room for the other too, so long as they don't get too wide of the mark that you can't recognize. It has to have a certain kinship to the music, I think. But uh, all, all, all in all, though, I, I think we're in pretty good shape. Yes, sir, I agree. I, I've listened. I've listened to uh, to several outfits, some of the the new age and as well as the traditional. And I, I think it's in safe hands. I think uh, you know they, there's enough respect for it uh, where everybody knows. You know, hey, if you're gonna if you're gonna play this kind of music. Uh, you need to you need to have the you know you need to keep it where it needs to be and, and so far I haven't heard too many hiccups. Well, but, you know, yeah. there's going to be uh, you know there's always going to be the the naysayers along with you know, all that ain't bluegrass and well you know I, I can't argue with them in a way but you got to look at it and I, I I kind of try to look at it practical. Uh, if Henry Ford had never changed the style of a a 1928 Ford, he probably wouldn't have sold too many after a few years, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. I know that's you right. Know? Uh, so uh, what I'm saying is, you can't, uh, you can keep the tradition alive, but you can't do but so much to the you know, the songs that have been around and and uh, that have been done over and over and over. Well, they were done by the originators and our pioneers. And if it never got past that, then there would be a danger because, you know, practically speaking, that anything that doesn't grow, the only alternative to growth is death. So we don't want it to go away. So I think we can find a happy medium for everybody. That's that's it. And and one thing I, I wish uh, 
uh, more of them would do, which is they they all take turns singing. But you know what what you have mastered so beautifully throughout your uh, your uh, career is is the the quartet style, like not just picking the instruments, but everybody has their spot and sings in, in like a perfect harmony. I mean, what what made that such a passion for you? You know, like singing the whole group kind of pulling their own and singing different parts throughout the song. Well, the biggest impact was was my father, and, uh, and uh, he sang in an a cappella quartet uh, during my childhood. I was about probably six years old or so when he first started singing. At first, it was he, my dad, my mother, and uh, one of his nephews. And then, uh, but my mother dropped back because back in the days when you know the, the wife stayed at home for the most part and took care of the kids and. My, I've had a brother that was two and a half years younger than, than me, so uh, uh, and I had an older sister that uh, she stepped in when my mother quit singing, and she she sang until she got married. And then, but anyway, being around the acapella quartet and watching and listening to them and watching them uh, practice and learn new songs, and they all learned to read. They could read shape note music, and they would work out their their harmonies and stuff, and it just captivated me, and I always loved the sound of harmonies, of three or four voices, or even two voices that that were blending in harmony. It's just there's just nothing better here to me, you know. And, and uh, so I've I've always wanted to have to have a a group that vocals were the the main focus, and I mean it's it's important to pick. And I've got some awfully good players these days. But you know what? Uh, I heard I heard one of the greatest, if not the greatest, guitar player in country music ever, Chet Atkins, said one time that he, if he'd given been given his choice, he would much rather been a singer than a guitar picker because you don't have any hit records of playing guitar, but you do for singing. You know? <laughs> so. That's absolutely right. That's one hundred percent. I've I've heard several people, you know, in music, they'll say. It don't matter if you can play ten thousand instruments. If if you can't, you know, hold a note, it, it don't really, you know. And it's the truth. Um, well, the, the song lyrics, if and I look for songs that have, if they don't have anything to say, I'm, I'm not too interested in it. But if it tells me a story, and what we're doing really, we're we're storytellers. We just do it with melody. And and uh, we try to tell the story or paint the picture, so to speak. And if, if there's no storyline to it, I'm not too interested in that. It's just, uh, you know, if you throw a bunch of words together and put some hot picket in there, it really doesn't do a, whole, a lot for me. Now, that's personally. I'm not going to say it's, it, might, it might be somebody else's cup of tea, but it's not mine. I, I, because I like I like vocal harmonies, and, and uh, it's served me pretty well. Sure. Uh, I just remember, uh, like I said, I wanted to tell you, what what got me hooked on your music is when I was a kid and I'd go, which is he just turned 80, I'd go to my granddad and grandmother's house. Uh, his name's Bill. He worked at Ford Glass, but um, he had a, uh, this was uh, back when CDs first come out, but he had a tape to uh, Rock My Soul, which to me is, is, is one of the greatest albums ever made. <laughs> um, and I just I hope that if if I get lucky enough to get into Heaven's Gate, that's what all the music's gonna sound like. Uh, well, it was it, well, it was just you. perfect. And I remember watching you. He had you on a VHS tape. Uh, this was many moons ago. I'm, I just turned 37, but you know we we listened to you know Rock My Soul, The Bosom of Abraham, Jesus Gave Me Water. Just uh, oh yeah, yeah, the, the the best. I mean, 
that to me is the greatest uh, tribute to the Lord I've, I think I've ever heard in my life. And I just, I'm so glad I got to tell you because it's, it's meant so much of me. I've had several copies of it now. I can listen to it online, which is whoever thought you'd have a computer on your phone. You can listen to music, but you know, it's just at my disposal. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, Hey, there, the, we're in a, uh, uh, computerized world and there's no secrets. You know? That's so it. You can, yes, sir. You can find anything that you need to find out that. Some probably sometimes that you wish you, that you didn't find out. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but, but you know, rock my soul. Uh, you know, I put, I put my band together, uh, well, uh, April 1st was 40 years this year, 40 oh, years wow. ago. I did one secular recording and then, uh, but I told I told Lou Reed and then Jimmy Haley and Terry Balkan were the three guys that the original members, uh-huh. and uh, I, I I didn't really have a a blueprint other than I said okay I want to be I want us to have be a band that that has no limitations if we want to do a, a real right down the middle hard driving traditional song let's do it if we want to do something contemporary let's do it. If we want to do something a little swingy, let's do it. I said, I don't want to be painted into a corner, but uh, the one thing I said that I want most of all is I want to have a quartet like my dad had. And uh, so that was was sort of the the blueprint I had laid out. And uh, so we we started working on a lot of of gospel, and uh, immediately the people took to it. And, hey, listen, you know, you, you may think you're the smartest guy in the world, but if you're in this business, the people decide what works and what doesn't. That's the truth. <laughs> it sure is. I, I just remember, you know, like it was yesterday, and you know, still listening to it today. It, it, it can't be touched. Uh, you guys getting in there and, and singing them songs. You know, everybody in bluegrass now has a some little touch in there. They're trying to mimic that came from you and them guys singing them songs. It's just dynamite. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, sir. And uh, another thing I wanted to bring up too is like I've noticed with your group in the last uh, umpteenth years. And I know we're from Tennessee, and we don't like to talk about this guy, but you know how Nick Saban, all of his coordinators, they always branch out and go to other teams and become head coaches? Oh, yeah. 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 That, that's what you are to Bluegrass. It just seems <laughs> like they, they have to get your, your stamp of approval and then they, they, before they can move out. What, how, how does that all come to be? Well, I don't change for the people that come here. They change for me. That's part of it. Yeah. And uh, because if I if I had to change everything for anybody I hired, then pretty soon I'd have I wouldn't have nothing to worry about changing. I'd just be floating around in water with no direction. Yeah. But here's the deal: you have guys, and I've been really fortunate. I've had some awfully good people come through here, and uh, and I I I realize and recognize the need to move on. Because I was there one time myself, you know, so I I get that part. But uh, but when I see people that have, that step away and they go on and they and they make a significant impact in the music and and it's a it's a little shot in the arm uh, that makes me happy. I'm, I'm I'm proud for for them, happy for them, and and, and uh, kind of proud that maybe I had a little something to do with that, you know, and yes. uh, so uh, I know the first thing people think when, when you have band change is that uh, everybody's mad at each other. It's not that. It's it's not that. I mean, uh, uh, 
most of the time I would prefer if I had to make a change or they decide to leave or whichever the case may be, uh, I, I try to make it where that, that it's not a, uh, a bitter thing. It's just a, a, a business thing that we had to do. Sometimes I have to make a change. Sometimes they leave on their own. And uh, But it is what it is. But the, the fact is that uh, it's not you, – you, you don't – I mean, when they when they go on and they, they, they'll do – Great. Uh, well, we used uh, I used David and Vincent for example. Jamie was here almost ten years, and you know those guys have found their place. They found what works for them, and it's working very well. And they they're doing great, and uh, and I'm happy for them. It makes me feel good because yes, sir. Uh, there there's no time. Why would I waste time about being bitter when I could be about trying to make my music better instead of you know i don't i don't have time to be mad at somebody or angry or bitter because they left that's life you know and i know uh somebody well it was, it was james who asked me one time because he'd been here so long and said and they, we were he had been gone too long and they said boy i bet you miss you miss jamie don't you i said no and it, <laughs> they, they they said what i said well i said no listen don't take it wrong I don't yeah. have time. I don't have time. My job when somebody leaves is I got to find somebody and get them working to where that I can still go on and provide the best music I can. And that's yeah. why I don't have time to. I don't have time to miss them. I don't have time to be mad at them or whatever. And there's no point. That's it, right. It serves no purpose. Yeah, I agree. But uh, yeah, it's 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 all you know. Every lineup they've got their own stuff to offer. Just like you know, listening to this Prague album on Spotify, listening to that Sea of Life, it it hits just as good as it always has. It still gets your blood pumping. Well, that's that's the idea. Is you know, they come to me and and if uh, uh, they don't understand that, and I tell them first up when they come in, if you if you don't want if you don't like taking direction, then this is probably. Probably not the place for you to come. You might want to. You might not want to be here. And uh, but I tell them, uh, uh, here's the deal. I tell them, if you give me a hundred percent, I'm gonna be the easiest guy you've ever worked for. Yes, sir. But if you don't, then you probably won't be here too long. That's right. Well, you hadn't been doing it for you know my granddad's generation to mine to you know and then some by by not. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. Yeah, well, it, it uh, but it. Hey, I've been blessed. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm blessed beyond belief, and and uh, uh, you know, I, I, all I ever wanted to do when I was a kid, I, I never had any aspirations, and never thought, never dreamed that I would be, uh, have have my own group for 40 years now, and and all the things that I've gotten to do. All I wanted to do when I was a kid, I just wanted to be on the stage picking with somebody. That's what yes. I wanted to do. Of course, you know, you mature as a musician, you mature as a person, and then you, you know, you 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 look you look at things from a different perspective. And and uh, so, uh, you know, the one thing you can count on in this life, though, you don't ever know exactly where the Lord's going to lead you. Yes, sir. I agree. Uh, 100%, but you have brought so much joy to people, myself included, and I just uh, really wanted to thank you. It was, it's just awesome to get to speak with you. Uh, i got one more question for you, and I know you're a busy man, but these 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 fancy outfits you're wearing, does Manuel dress you? Do you wear Manuel's outfits? 
I do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw them. They're, they're so neat, and they got that sparkly to them. I said, I, I bet he goes and visits old Barry Hill and sees old Manuel every once in a while. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I, when he was over on the, uh, out on West Broadway at first, yes, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, but I, I haven't seen him in a while. I, I need to, uh, I, I can't seem to get time to slow down to stop. But uh, I understand he moved over to uh, a new location and. Yes, sir. But uh, I'm so doggone busy. I don't get, I don't stop in Nashville much anymore. And, and uh, uh, it's just uh, I used to do the out there on the cage. Still do once in a great while, but uh, uh-huh. uh, they keep me pretty hopping. So, but I, I'm okay with all that. I understand. Yeah, I, I was just kind of curious because I've always wanted one of them shirts. I got one more child. She's got to get out of high school, and then maybe I'll be able to buy me. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, better dig deep because he's proud of them. <laughs> yes, sir. Well, anyway, uh, Mr. Doyle Lawson, living legend. I, I'm so glad to have spoke to you. Uh, Franklin Theater in Franklin, Tennessee, December 6th. Going to tear the roof plumb off the place. They're going to have to get some contractors when you get done. And we're looking forward to it, too. It's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful theater, and we always have a great time there. Next up on the podcast in this post-Halloween, Halloween-esque edition, uh, we've got funny man Dustin Nickerson. Uh, he's going to be at Zany's Nashville November 7th for Laughter for the Soul. He's going to be providing stand-up for that. It's a park center benefit. Go to zanies.com or go to Dustin Nickerson's website and socials to get more information. A special thanks to, for him speaking with us and stand-up comedian Brandon Skelton for co-hosting and sharing his talent. Here we go. The comedy portion of this week's podcast, we had the hilarious Dustin Nickerson. Special thank you, Brandon Skelton, for uh, co-hosting with me. What, what did you think about him as an interviewee? I thought he was a pretty intelligent, uh, fun guy to talk to. Oh, yeah. great, great guy, great comedian. Gave some great advice. It's definitely something uh, that people could, could glean some wisdom from. Uh, but I've always enjoyed listening to Dustin. I saw him at um, Zany's, do a set there at Zany's. Followed his career a little bit. He's opening for some guys I love, you know, John Chris, Tim yeah. Hawkins, and I mean, just headlining his own show. So, fantastic comedian, great interview, yeah. uh, definitely worth the time. A one hundred percent clean. One hundred percent clean. And see, I always admire that because you know, as a novice comedian, where I tried it, and then you pull it off as well. You do it greatly. To me, it, you know, the, the the laugh with the profanity is quick. But if you can make somebody laugh clean and pull it off, then you've got something. I've always respected that aspect of it. Uh, really, really intelligent guy. He, he's coming to Nashville November 7th. Uh, he's playing a show. Uh, it's all for charity, so check that out on the Zanny's website or go to his website, DustinNickerson.com. Check all that out. It's for a really good cause. Um, wanted to point out, Brandon here, comedian, um, you've got a new handle online. Tell everybody what you've got going on now in your comedic life. What's going on with you? All right, well, uh, I'm a pastor and been doing comedy for a couple of years. Uh, most of the shows that I work are church events or nonprofits. So just kind of came up with this idea of being the church comedian. So yeah. I have a website, thechurchcomedian.com. Uh, and then, of course, that gives you the links all over to Facebook. i got a page there, the church comedian, Instagram. Uh, haven't been able to get Twitter yet. So the guy who is out there with the Twitter handle, church comedian, <laughs> if you're listening, I know you beat me to it. You created it in 2013, but you've disappeared. 
I really need you to come back to me. Let's make a trade. <laughs> yeah, I'll get I, you a Chick Fil A gift card. We'll do something, yeah, but I, I need that handle. That is fantastic. Another thing: uh, uh, Will you baptize somebody during a performance if they need it? Because you're dual. You're both. <laughs> I'll have to think on that one. I've been offered a lot of things or requested a lot of things. That that would be a first for me. Make sure that that water's warm. (laughs) All right, guys, check him out. The Church Comedian and on YouTube as well. He's trying to get those hits up. Uh, Funny guy. He co-hosts here with me when I talk with comedians. I had Dustin Nickerson on the phone. Um, Really funny comedian, great podcaster, uh, hilarious uh, outright. Um, You're coming to town to Zany's Nashville. November seventh, laughter for the soul. It's like a great benefit. Could you uh, could you talk on that a little bit? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's a charity there in town. Uh, excited to uh, to be a part of it, work with it, and get a chance to you know uh, to to be at Zanies in Nashville, one of my favorite cities. I was excited when the club asked me to to be a part of it, and uh, yeah, coming to town. And I try to come to Nashville as often as I can. I have my own headlining date out there in February as well, and. Uh, yeah, just uh, excited to do it. Yeah, it's it's awesome, and, and like I said, uh, you're you know uh, making your rounds and, and listening to your podcast today. Uh, really, really enjoyed that, man. It, it sounds organic. I like the naturalness of it. Um, how did that come to be? Could you uh, talk a little bit about your podcast, if you don't mind? Yeah, you know, um, I uh, my hope hope for that is to uh, is to give people just a broader perspective of what different families can look like and where different people come from and, uh, you know, their different experiences and circumstances and, and, and to have a laugh all, all the way about it. Cause I think every, uh, every family has its ups and downs and, uh, tragedy and dysfunction. And, uh, and the more you laugh about it, uh, the better it is. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> it has a way, it has a wheel, a way to kind of be a balm on the, on that pain. So, uh, and, and, and folks in entertainment, they're the primary folks that entertain. Usually, they come uh, from the most amount of dysfunction and uh, and have the most amount of uh, the best sense of humor about it. Yeah, well, um, uh, one thing I really appreciate about it is it, it's something that kind of caters to a guy like me. I just turned thirty-seven. I heard your co-host say late thirties. I totally relate to that, and it's kind of good to have somebody discussing your daily life and having somebody in your corner you know, discussing all the things we're going through, and I just really thought that was awesome. And, and, and now I'm a subscriber and a fan as well. Oh, excellent. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm with you. You know, we uh, – we uh, nobody wants to – it can uh, – whatever unique stage you're at can feel very isolating. Um, you know, your unique struggles and pain and whatever you're going through. And uh, that's another one of the things that I really aim for in the pod is that people can just listen and feel like, uh, man, I'm not alone in my struggles, or that person's way more messed up than me. It's not as bad as I thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Let's. Uh, okay. Well, I've, I've got a question for you, Dustin. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I'm in, you know, the Christian Comedy Association. You know, running some of the same loops there with you. Uh, good friends. Yeah. And you guys doing cross town uh, comedy. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just a, a question for you, knowing you have a family and. And traveling like you do, like with you touring with uh, John Chris, and I think you open with Tim Hawkins as well. I mean, how do you find that balance touring with those guys and still keeping that that family dynamic going strong? Yeah, you know, it's uh, day by day. Uh, you uh, you start to, you know, every family. I think the the idea of uh, a nine to five dad who comes home and you know the Leave It to Beaver family, uh, you know, kisses his wife and then you know, sits down and has dinner with the kids. I mean, I think that 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 is a myth. I don't think that that exists much. I don't think that, I think most jobs, 
are very taxing and most jobs are, uh, uh, you know, have their own version of strain. And there's a lot of jobs that look like this job. They, you know, there's firemen, there's pilots, there's traveling businessmen, there's there's people that work uh, red eye, there's people that you know are the you know uh, graveyard shifts, there's people that work different types, and and times where people are having to hustle and work multiple jobs, and you know you, each each family has to find what works for them, which works. Uh, for them on a personal level as far as being fulfilled and satisfied in, in your work and also one that uh, you can spend the right amount of time and uh, doing the right amount of things with your family. So my job allows me to be incredibly present for, you know, three to five days a week, depending on the week, where I'm home with nothing to do. I mean, there are very few dads that you're going to see that are more you know, involved as far as pickups and drop-offs and school events because that stuff's all Monday through Friday, and I'm usually home on those. You know, the weekends I'm gone, but, you know, you, you make it work. And, uh, you know, I, I feel very close to my kids. I You know, we have a good relationship. I'm very close to my wife. So it, there's certainly strain, uh, but, you know, you make it work. Uh, every, every individual has different needs, and you just kind of communicate and work through those things and uh, hope you don't mess them up too bad. Yeah, thank you, sir. Boy, that is so wise for a comedian. Like, I, I just gained knowledge. I feel like my brain just got bigger. <laughs> you, you were on. You were spot on, man. You, you need to do a round two, like your own Dr. Phil, where you just coach comedians who want to just do this full time and go for the gusto. You know, I think that people whose lives fall apart because of their careers are usually liars. I think that their lives fell apart because of who they are, like the decisions that they made. Like, no. No career will cause a divorce. You caused a divorce. You know, like, no, no, yeah, no, no career causes a cat's in the cradle situation. You caused that. You did that, you know, yeah. and uh, so, I don't you know, people use that stuff as an excuse. And I, it's a bit of a chip on my shoulder. The very first open mic I ever went to, the, the bartender said, well, if you want to be a successful comedian, get a divorce now. What are you talking oh. about? You think comedians can't be married? You know, like this is, it's just a dumb take where people use their prop. They blame their career and their quote unquote dreams for them being, you know, crappy husbands and fathers or wives or whatever they may be. Like it's, it's nothing to do with a career. You just didn't want to be married. Yeah. Hey, no true words have been spoken. Um, that brings in another question I had. Okay. Uh, according to like reading your, your bio and your profile by Third, age 30, you'd already been married 10 years. Now, being in our age bracket, Brandon and I, um, 10 years is like 50 years because nobody can hold it together, and you just kind of summed it all up. But, I mean, I was going to ask you, what what's the policy for young people who, who can't hold it together? I mean, Brandon's been married a long time. Uh, I myself have not. I've been through a divorce. But is there any secret sauce to being able to do what you do and keeping the mojo going? Oh, oh man, I didn't uh... – that's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I, I told, I was talking to my wife about this recently. If somebody asked me like to ever like write a book on marriage, I would never do it. Cause I don't know anything about marriage. I know about how to be married to my wife. Like yeah. I know, like if my, I don't, I can't write a book on, on how to make a good marriage work. And people that write those books are dumb too. Like it's not, it's about, <laughs> It's just about being married to your person and finding what that person needs and your compatibility. And, and my wife and I have been together since we were 16. Like, we know each other. 
inside and out very well. We like we just like we we know each other's quirks and our personalities and have kind of we're just committed to one another on you know on uh on it's somewhat of a selfish level because like listen if I can make these compromises that seem sacrificial and sometimes are sacrificial that they I have selfish benefits of them and that like my marriage is healthier and things are a little happier and a little more peaceful around so I don't know, man. I can I could tell you what it takes to be married to to my wife, uh, uh, but I know that that's going to be different for you know every spouse out there. You know, because there are even kind of what you're saying. People look at what my wife and I do is schedule wise, and they go, oh, "I could never do that." And you're like, "Okay, well that's probably right. You never could do that." But uh, the idea of going back to a nine to five job, I could never do that. I can't. The idea of like going back into an office and sitting down in that same chair, I mean, it makes me cringe. Like my my body gets tight thinking about it. So everybody has their different personalities, and I guess that's part of it, just understanding. I'm like, well, you know, this works for you. And my wife likes the idea that I'm a traveling artist entertainer. She likes that about me. So you know, <laughs> you know, different strokes, different folks, I guess. Yeah, well put. Hey, well, Dustin, I've, I've got a question here, kind of brought up in passing just a moment ago. Uh, but before I bring this up, I do want to give a shout out to you for beating my friend Lee Harden in fantasy football. He's, he's oh yeah, that one a little bit. Um, that yeah, I think yeah. Lee's, Lee's garbage in fantasy football. I don't even know why he does it anymore. Just, yeah. Yeah. Lee's committed. Lee's committed to fantasy football in the way that people are committed to bad marriages. I mean, he should, he should divorce divorce his roster. That guy is now at least a sweetheart. If, oh, if, if he's anything like us, he's picking all Titans players. That's got to be a shortcoming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, every year I, I overreach to get Russell Wilson because I'm a Seahawks fan. So every, yeah. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I'm not even a Seahawks fan, but I, I'd like to have Russell Wilson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially this season, yeah. Well, hey, uh, the, the question I want to throw at you, if you could just kind of give us a rundown on, uh, you know, Marty Simpson has put together that Crosstown Comedy Tour. Uh, I know you get to be part of that. Uh, could you just kind of give a little snapshot of what the all is going to be going on with those those events? Well, I've never done it, so I can't really. Oh, <laughs> you haven't been it's on a, it with them yet. It's a new thing, but I haven't been on it with. But my my basic understanding, if I ever actually get invited to do it, is uh, we all do sets and then we all go out there and talk to each other for a while and riff and be on stage together. So, yeah, it sounds fun. I hope I get to be a part of it someday. <laughs> well, I, I think they put you on the flyer, so they may be using you for that street credibility. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is which is not good cred. I think uh, it's it's a nice it's a nice thought, but uh, it's not exactly Larry the Cable Guy up there as far as moving tickets goes. <laughs> um, I, I noticed too earlier today, uh, looking through your uh, social media, you you said something with the holidays coming up that I thought was so true, and 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 I had the same problem. And Brandon and I were discussing it before you called. But your uh, your take on candy corn, dude, about how it, it tastes. Uh, taste. But we're the same way. Like, you see a bowl full of it, you have to stick it in your mouth. I mean, I guess that's like a universal thing. It's not just us here in Tennessee. That's just uh, – I just love yeah. that you said that. It's just wild. It's almost like, like hot sauce where it's like it's not even a pleasant experience, but for whatever reason we do it. Where, you know, yeah. or like it is an interesting – uh, Jim Gaffigan has that joke where he talks about all the candy corn was made in the same year. Like it's all, 
and it's just like recycled from previous years. Like they've made no new candy corn since the 1800s or whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so you feel every time you get covered in whack, it looks like it's pulled out of an ear. You know, it's so gross. But uh, yeah, I eat it every time. People like have been recommending because I did that post. They're like, oh, you should try and mix it with like nuts or something. And like I tried it, and I was like, this tastes like candy corn with nuts. Like this isn't some revelation. <laughs> You know, this like these are two distinctly mediocre flavors. <laughs> yeah, um, there for a little while, Purity here locally made a candy corn milk. I, I, that was to me was so yeah. gross. I mean, why do we do these things? Why yeah. just let good things be good things, <laughs> or bad lovely. things be bad things? Yeah. Yeah, um, we're you're talking about you know people like Larry the Cable Guy and everything, but just you know you do, you don't give yourself credit. You're a fantastic comedian. You're you're anything but an average person, which is you coin yourself. Well, I just want to oh, thank you. We I feel I feel enlightened just by talking with you. You're like a you're like a ball of uh, enlightenment. You're like a, <laughs> a an Einstein type comedian. But um, one thing that really impressed me and uh, is that you were one of the few people I've spoke to that you've interacted with Kevin Hart. I mean, what is he like? What was that like? What was that whole experience like? Yeah, that was um uh you know we get to spend a few hours on set together and um. You know, he's a real pro, uh, you know, uh, as far as you notice his professionalism and his comfort on set, you know, and the way they interact with the crew and he delivers his lines and he just sees every, you know, he's professional and he's efficient and he gets the job done. And um, he's he's even shorter than you would imagine. Uh, you know, he's short and then you get in front of him and you're like, you are, I get it. You are, a, you are a, a tiny man and I'm 5'8", so that means a lot uh, coming from me, so. But uh, it's so funny, so very generous, you know. I, 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 um, you know, a lot of people have a lot to say about Kevin Hart, and all I can say is that uh, he's generous and he uses his platform to help others. And you know, ask anyone who's been associated with him professionally, and they have nothing but the best things to say. And that that was a cool opportunity for me as far as getting to be on Comedy Central and be on that show with Kevin. And and but the um. The big, the most important thing to me is that my my kids who tell their friends all the time that I'm a comedian and they're like, I don't know, I've never heard of him. Finally, they have some cred. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they're gonna be like, Yeah, my dad. Here's a video of him and Kevin Hart, and they're like, Okay, now your dad's yeah. cool. Like it yeah. took that. Yeah. How old are your kids? My kids are uh, 12, 10, and five. Right on. So they can talk about Jumanji. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What they know of Kevin Hart is is all the recent stuff. They're like, Oh, we loved him and. Secret Life of Pets, and you're like, all right. Yep. <laughs> that is right the project on. that he is in. Right on. Well, uh, what other dates do you have? I know after you do this charity event, which is awesome, maybe you, you've got another date in Nashville, but what, what's the rest of your schedule looking like? Uh, you know, I'm kind of all over the place. You know, I've got um, – um, people go to my website, dustinickerson.com, uh, slash shows. You know, the top four or five there are some upcoming headlining dates. I've got dates, uh, headlining dates in San Diego, Spokane, Tacoma, um, the what else? Oh, I got that Nashville day, and then we've got um, we've got a nice like uh like a nice variety of things that I'll be rolling out here. Probably I, I'm announcing a Portland date here soon, and you know I do a lot of West Coast stuff, but I'm in Nashville quite a bit as well. I just finished up a little headlining tour in you know in Texas and the South, and you know they'll get me in a year and a half. We'll come back. I hear you. That's- <laughs> That's awesome. And then I saw, like, like to book you, if, if the room's big enough, you'll invite people to Thanksgiving dinner. That must be a wild Thanksgiving at your house. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, well, <laughs> you know, we like the, we like the company. 
It was a blast talking to the amazingly talented comedian Heather McDonald. She'll be making her way to Nashville to do two shows at the City Winery, Saturday, November 9th at 7 and at 10. Check her social medias and the City Winery social medias and website to get your tickets. We discuss her performances. Her podcast has got over 40 million downloads called Juicy Scoop. We also talked about 90 Day Fiancé, which is my favorite reality TV program, and even a stand-up special she just recently recorded that's due out in 2020. That and a whole lot more right here next on the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast. First of all, uh, happy Halloween. Thanks for speaking with us today here on the podcast. Um, yes. got, any big, got any big plans? Got a costume or anything? I know you have some children. so I do. I am going to a TikTok official party, like from the TikTok wow. people. How cool and is that? Invited us to a party. So um party doesn't start till nine, so we'll probably do some trick or treating before then and then go to the party. It just sounds I'm excited, but it also sounds like a lot of effort. And <laughs> and my husband and I are being the, that um Khaleesi and what's the other guy's name? And John Snow. I've never watched Game of Thrones, but my husband like loves it. And he picked out the outfits, and they're, like, pretty great. Like, my wig is awesome, and the costume is, like, very cool, like, not super slutty, just fun enough. (laughs) So I'm I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, that's awesome. I – I'm with you with Game of Thrones. Uh, I I know of it. Um, Not not big into it, but went to a Comic-Con here in Nashville, I think it was last year, and there was a line wrapped with people, and I was like, is Taylor Swift here? And it was one of the main characters from that show. So I was like, oh, my gosh, there's something to this. Oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> so it'll be, it'll, it should be a fun night. Yeah. We'll uh, and uh, another thing, listening to your podcast, you are after my own heart, uh, the Juicy Scoop. You're into 90 Day Fiance. That's something that we Southerners cannot live without. And you had Annie and David on your show. I did have Annie and David, and they um, were so nice. And really fun, and I, I've since talked to him, and you know, they're. I I really think it's great that, you know, because if you watched it, she didn't seem very happy, and you really didn't have hope for them. Yeah. So the fact that they like are so happy and compatible, and they're able to like profit off of this fame in like a good, healthy way, where they both are enjoying it together. I think that's kind of rare, and so I, I actually am, like, really rooting for them. I like sure. them. Sure. Well, that, that's what I mean. Like, I mean, to my core, I, I'm, I'm a fan of love, but I'm also a fan of the train wreck part of it. But, yeah, yes. you, you see this young lady, which is, you know, there's an age difference, and you're like, okay, she's moving to America thinking the opportunities are going to be better, and this guy is just leading her down one rabbit hole to another of just, catastrophe and uh but you know like you said you're glad they pulled out of it so good for them yes absolutely the uh the, the only one i've gotten on the show myself is evelyn cormier have you spoke with her no which one is she there's so many like i yes. only watched the before the 90 days i don't watch the other way and so i don't know who evelyn is i got you evelyn cormier oh, wait, oh, evelyn, the, yeah. oh she was the singer right yes american isle that's it oh my god yes yeah, uh, was, was I think, count- yeah, I'm sorry. I ahead. think she w- didn't. She go on the show 90 Day to like get her singing career going. Um, you know that that was that was what they thought. And then I talked to her, and she said, "This is what she told me." She said, "American Idol 
uh, sought her out to perform on the show. She didn't actually, but I mean, I guess the platform didn't hurt being on 90 Day. Then she gets on there, and of course, Katy Perry says she has the most beautiful voice in the history of singing, and she kind of blew up. And like Chris Isaac, who lives in Nashville, uh, he, when he performs, he she is like his uh, headliner. So she, or excuse me, opener. He's the headliner. Yeah. She's the opener. Yeah, got confused there for a second. But anyway, um, there's a lady I met here in my town that I uh, I got pretty close to. She was going to be on 90 Day Fiance. This is how how me and my friends are just fanatics of it, but. She comes into the gym where I work out part-time, and she said, I'm in here to get in shape. Uh, I met the love of my life. He lives in Croatia. And the first thing I said was, have you ever heard of 90 Day Fiance? She's going, uh, no, no, what is it? So finally talked both of them into submitting. Uh, was was a go. I was going to get to be the friend on there, pillow talk, the whole shebang. And then she went to visit him. They went on a trip. When she got back home, he hasn't spoke to her since. It's been over a month. Oh. Heartbroken. She's a 52-year-old lady. She's sweet. She's so kind. Was in love with this man, and he How has just... How old was the Croatian? 60. Oh. Uh, kind of looked like Liam Neeson. Wasn't an ugly guy. Uh, you know, got their pictures together. Was in love. Uh, she Wait, was, wait was the TLC interested in them? Yes. I, I did some research found their casting thing, um, did the whole shebang. I was like, okay. I had her on my podcast talking about dating this guy, going to see him, sent them the tracks. They're like, oh, let's get her. And I was like, can I be the friend? And they're like, absolutely. So I'm thinking, yes, we get to be on Pillow Talk. Here it is, you know, because I I just was so excited. And then she got back, and and it's been a month, and he has just the ultimate, like, 10,000-mile-away ghost. Well, keep secreting it. Maybe someone else will walk into your gym that's dating a foreigner. It was just perfect because I'm a weekend guy there, and the girl that works with me, she's a, she's a high school teacher, and that yeah. this is a show we watch. So we're like, okay, here she is. This is a real life one. We've never met one in person. And, you know, it's just like you have your opportunity. You're like Willy Wonka ticket, and then you get in there, and, like, you accidentally drink some of the chocolate sauce, and they kick you out. It's like, oh, my gosh, my heart was broken. But, you know, listening to the podcast and you're talking about 90 Day, which is – yours is fantastic, by the way. Hats off to you. Um, Thank you. Really entertaining the whole way through. Uh, Very – you know, I really enjoy it. And then you're like, 90 Day, I was like, oh, my gosh, what a match made in heaven because it's like the best thing in the world to me anyway. (laughs) Um, So uh, you do – but you do two a week. Do you do it consistently or do you, like, take breaks? Like, you know how they do time stuff? I have never – taken a break ever like if it if it falls on a christmas and it's a tuesday you get a brand new episode on a christmas um yeah and and like i do and i feel these people that take these big breaks or do these seasonal things i don't know i mean for me i think consistency is really important to the podcast listener so i that's what works for me and um but it gets it does get hard as the holidays come we may, um, like, I may just do one a week during, like, Christmas and New Year's. I'm not sure. But people will still get fresh material every week, no matter what the holiday is. So, yeah. um, but it is a lot of work. It really is. And it, like, kind of never stops. Because then, because it's a pop culture show and stuff, it's like I'm always, when I'm not actually recording it or listening to it or editing it or booking it, that I'm, like, looking at hot topics. I'm watching shows to discuss. 
But it's all stuff I enjoy, so it's nice. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, uh, podcasters myself, uh, I just want to say, you know, you keep it engaging. It's very entertaining. I can tell you put a lot of work into it. And just wanted to brag you up because, I mean, you're a mom of three. You're a touring comedian. You're doing this awesome podcast. You're like an all-star. Like, you're like the superwoman, wonder woman of podcasting. And my hat's off to you. Just great job. Um, oh, I just, Because I, I was just thinking, I was like, you know, and it's just everyone is equally as entertaining. I'm like, she's doing this and juggling everything else. I mean, that's just amazing to me. Like, I do one day well, a you, week. And, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I said you got to go to my Instagram because I just did a sketch where I'm Darcy and Stacy from 90 Day, the twin that was sisters. A, yeah, that's what I was about to get to. I laughed so oh. hard at that. You know how, like, I was, sit, I was sitting in a place, like, I was ordering lunch or something, and I see that and start laughing because it is spot on. Even even the lip, the way you're doing your lips, just bless your heart. And then, of course, they don't leave their uh, their cleavage, anything to the imagination. I mean, have they seen it? They would. I mean, I think they would love it. They'd have to. Well, you said Darcy. I'm here with my uh, Kelly, who works with me. You said Darcy did make a comment, did she, on Instagram? <laughs> I'm asking. Did she? Yeah, did she? Yeah, she said she just saw that she might have made a comment, and we yeah. tagged her and everything. So, That's so it, most people. I mean, I've never had someone not flattered by the only person that did never that did not like my impression. The only celebrity I've ever met that did not like it was. Allie Lohan, Lindsay Lohan's sister. Oh, God. And I think it was because she was still a teenager when I did her, and I don't think that yeah. she got the humor. And I've since hung out with her as an adult, and she's a real delight. So other than that, everybody else, every other housewife, everybody, they, I've never heard, like, a negative comment. They like it. So at yeah. least they're smart enough. Like, they get in this business. they got to realize it's flattering if someone's going to take that much time and effort to study you and – get in a costume and put a sketch together. So yes. that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Even down to the little matching hats. I mean, it was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, cause like, I mean, okay, here I am. I'm a Southern middle Tennessee straight man that watches 90 day fiance. And I just appreciate little details like that. I was like, Oh my gosh, this is spot on. But yeah, literally had one of those moments watching that because I follow you on Twitter. That, uh, that's like the closest I have to any social media. Unfortunately oh, right now. Got to get with the times, but I saw that on there. It popped up. I was like, "This is genius." Uh, my friend Aaron, like I said, she's on Twitter as well. My teacher, coworker slash uh, part time friend, mailed her that, and she loved it. I thought that is the funniest thing ever. Like, how could how could they not enjoy it? And that poor girl herself. I mean, you want her to find love too. I mean, she's a successful lady. She just she just cries a little too much. I think. Yes. <laughs> yeah, definitely yeah. too much. Uh, but um. But, yes, uh, you know, thank you so much. I was so glad to have discovered it and, like, this 90-day stuff because I'm down with it. The Pillow Talk, the Tell All. I, I actually watch them all. I'll be watching the new one. I think it's coming out, like, two or three days. They don't skip a beat now. You get, like, a week off, and then you, they go right after it again. So Yeah. <laughs> okay, and then, like I said, I wanted, you know, to bring this up. This is why we were talking anyway because I saw you were coming to the Cittery Winery here in Nashville, two shows, which is a really classy, elegant, awesome, fun place to see a show. Uh, November 9th, right, Saturday. Uh, you got two shows at 7 and 10. Uh, glad yes. to have you. have you. Have you performed there before, or do you come to Nashville often? I have performed in Nashville many times. I've, I've performed at the Zanies. Yeah. But mm -hmm. I was, I did do the Cine Winery, I think, last year or two years ago, and love it, love Nashville. I mean, just so much fun. Um, such a great place and great crowd. So I'm excited about those two shows. And anything goes, and, you know, it's um 
you know, it's like, yes, I talk about stuff like that, but I also, you know, it's also really relatable if you haven't watched any of those shows too. My stand-up is yeah. mostly just about like my life and relationships and dating and marriage and all that stuff that anyone can relate to. Yeah, it's awesome. Like I said, and I and I and I covered that watching you know, some of your stuff on YouTube, and then you have another special coming out right uh, in 2020, another stand-up I'm, special. Yes, definitely. Um, we're still just finishing probably like the last week or two of like the final edits on it, but um, yeah, I recorded it in August at the Irvine Improv, and I love the way it looks. I love the material in it. So what's also kind of nice about for when comedians do a special is once you've recorded that special, it's kind of like forces you to have to do new material because mm-hmm. you, you're like, okay, it's been recorded. It's done. It's forever in the universe. So let me like, I can't, I shouldn't really be doing, you know, that whole <laughs> act, you know, so you start doing a bunch of new stuff, which actually for the performer makes it really fun. I mean, you're most comedians are always doing some new, but there's sometimes when, you know, you'll share a story for a while and then you're like, okay, I'm not going to tell that story anymore. So, um, and, and so in developing and building like a whole new hour, it makes it almost like more exciting for me. So I'm, I'm yeah. always excited to perform now. Yeah. And not to mention, I mean, like, like, I mean, and you find time to write new material. That's just impressive too. I mean, cause you know, it's one thing to, to get accustomed to a set of jokes, but I imagine writing brand new ones and then memorizing them. I mean, you must have like a brain, like a steel trap. That's the only thing I can think. <laughs> Well, my my method for writing is more just like things just come to me or I say something or, you know, um, and I just go to the notes section of my phone and I just write it down. And then I sit down later on and like spend real time kind of developing it or writing it or, you know, before the show kind of going through and being like, oh, I could fit that in here or there. So, um, yeah, I mean, everybody has their own method, but all my material is like it all is derived from something that happened or, you know, that I really, that really happened to me. It's never like I sit down and go, oh, let me write some jokes about buses. That's a hot topic or whatever, you know, like it's never that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, or when I do something on the podcast and and people like quote it back to me or say that was such a funny story, then sometimes I'm like, oh, well, maybe I could sharpen it or, you know, tighten it and and make it, you know, something in the stand-up. So sometimes... Some of my best stand-up bits have come from, like, a longer story that, oh, my God, let me tell you what happened this weekend, and I just say it on the podcast, and then I've, you know, made it a tight, tighter bit for the stage. So that's yeah. cool, too. Very cool. Yeah, I've, I've always uh, I've been a fan. Uh, my two favorite things, music and comedy, and that's what I try to intertwine my little podcast with. But I've always been just amazed with, with the stand-up, A, because you're up there solo. It's just you. So if you flatline, you know, there's no – band behind you and I'm comparing both the things because of Music City but it's like but then when you, when you do it and you memorize it and the rhythm's going it's got to be like the best feeling in the world it's got to be so cool it is and as, as hard as that is that's also what I love about it too is that it's just me and a mic and because you know there's other times I've done sketch and I also when I you know sometimes do a live Juicy Scoop podcast there's a lot more moving parts and so I'm like, you know what, let me just do longer, like a longer stand-up show of me and kind of feature the best parts of the stand-up, of the podcast, but also make it like in a stand-up way. And for me, I feel like those are the best shows and the most fun and that that's what I get the most out of. So it's like, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot, but I also like just knowing that it's just me and the mic and I don't have to like, you know, 
have a guest or any of that stuff that then sometimes those people flake or the television show they're on then say that they, you know, won't allow them to be on or whatever, any of that type of stuff. I just don't like depending on anyone else but myself. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and anyway, like I said, you, uh, you know, I, was, I watched you a little bit there on Wendy Williams. You're such a class act too. You don't really dog anybody. You kind of like look at all perspectives and you're really great to talk to. And, and thank you for being so genuine. I mean, I really enjoyed the, a uh, little bit of time I had with you. Like I said, it's Halloween. I won't keep you too long, but just thank you for taking the time to talk to me, and we can't wait to see you in Nashville. Okay, great. Last but certainly not least on the podcast, we have Mike Marvin, one of the members of the trio, the legendary folk icons, the Kingston Trio. They're going to be coming to Franklin Theater on Friday, November 8th. That show is sold out. He's going to be discussing with us his experiences with the Kingston Trio, the impact they had on music for 60-plus years and more, and uh, what they're going to be doing when they come to Franklin. That's next on the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast. Let's do it. Uh, Mr. Mike Marvin, a living legend, thank you for taking the time to speak with us here in Middle Tennessee. Um, very excited uh, here at the Franklin Theater, which is a beautiful place. Uh, on November 8th, uh, the Kingston Trio is coming, and the show I saw today is sold out, and that is amazing. Nice. Yeah, very excited to have you. Uh, and thank you for deciding to bring your show to, to Franklin. We'll be really glad to have you. In the, in the Absolutely. Group. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, it's going to be a really exciting time. And uh, I was going to ask you, uh, you know, selling out shows after 60-plus years and uh, – your group setting the tone and bringing folk music to the masses. Uh, I mean, how does that make you feel after all this time? Like everybody still gravitates to it and still loves it so much. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's such a good question. I'm never sure. Uh, Every now and then um, we'll get a call that, and maybe the sales have been a little slow, Uh but it always seems like when we get there, the, it, it people just seem to come and it's always very gratifying because you know like you say after 60 years and there's been it's been it's been quite a run i mean there's been several iterations of the group mm-hmm. and it's really it's really satisfying i must say that the fan base is still there the fans all show up and i People often ask me why is that, and I think sometimes it's just that the the songs and the music is basically it's timeless, it's indestructible. It's just it's really fun and and it's accessible to everybody. So that's probably the reason why it's still so alive and well. Yeah, and uh, you know, like the keep the music playing tour. What what a fitting name because. It is. It's great music. Uh, for the last couple of days, I've been I've been humming songs like Tom Dooley and everything, and I've heard <laughs> I've heard different age ranges, and they'll recognize it and saying, "Hey, is that what I think it is?" And I say, "Yeah, you know, they're coming to Franklin." And, oh my goodness, I just can't believe it. And I said, "Yeah, they're still uh, still alive and well after all these years, still making that great music that uh, you know everybody's accustomed to." So it's just neat that through the generations, people have shared it. Like you know, my grandparents really loved the band, and that's how I got to learn about them. And then. Of course, this is what I've always thought. There was there had to have been a tie-in with the Beach Boys because they they uh, copied the striped shirts you guys wear, and then they did they Sleep on B right after you did. That's that is correct. They uh-huh. they they took the striped shirts and 
And they did swoop John B. Yeah. Do they, do they have to mail you a check every time they <laughs> No, I think uh, – I don't think anybody owns the rights to do – to have striped shirts. But yeah. it would be embarrassing for anybody else to do it, I think. That's right, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, and I was uh, I was looking at your your bio and everything. I just thought you know it said that Nick Re- uh, Reynolds uh, raised you and mentored you and let you watch them perform and and do their rehearsals and everything. I mean, what an interesting life and opportunity that must have been. That was incredible. I was I was a teenager when I was taken in, and these he was the greatest. He was my like he was almost like my father in a way. He was. He taught me everything. He'd come into my room and play me songs. And, I mean, you have to understand that he was the one of the biggest stars in the world Yeah. And, until the Beatles came. And I remember this. I, was, I say this in the concert often. Um, there was this one time he came back from – he had been touring in England. And um, he was talking about – they were on their way to this to do one of their shows – and they were about three or four blocks away, and there were thousands of girls lined up to go into their show. <laughs> and lo and behold, it turned out that the girls were lined up to go into their show. That was true, but it wasn't to see them. It was to see the Beatles who were oh. opening for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. I, always, I always thought that was funny. He told yeah. me about the Beatles about eight months before anybody had ever heard the word Beatles. Oh wow, how cool is so that? So I knew I knew about the Beatles um, well before they hit. You know, they got famous in the United States, and uh, and they became friends with uh, McCartney and Lennon, to, and they would often share notes about playing different places. I know once in New York they ran into each other. And they were talking about playing in Carnegie Hall. So I was privy to all that. Wow. How how cool is that? Is, is, that, is, cool. is that not a book already, or are you in the process of writing <laughs> one? I am writing about these things, but um, I uh, it'll be two or three years before that novel's finished. I hear you. <laughs> that's a never-ending saga. Um, that's right. And that, that's just a cool, incredible story. Okay. Yeah. And I was also told, is there a new album out or is there a new album in the works? What's the story? There's that? a new album in the works. Nice. There's a couple of things we're working on. Um, our, we have an album. It's called Live on the Road. It's it's It'll be for sale, actually, at the venue when we play. Cool. Um, and it's going up on the Internet and all that pretty soon. Um, the new album, there's a new album in the works too, and we're just deciding right now um, what our focus of the album will be. And I have a feeling it's going to be, you know, it's going to be more of the same, but um, probably a little more focused on um, traditional American folk songs that people, you know, are not that familiar with. So we're working on a few things like that and, Hopefully, um, working with the Smithsonian. So we'll see what happens. We're we're optimistic about it. That is awesome. I'm excited to hear all that stuff. Can't wait yeah. to check all that out. Um, another thing that really interests me is you you have a they say a Patron Tequila Baritone. I'm dying to know how you got that <laughs> title because that's that's a smooth tequila. So I'm dying to know how that combination <laughs> came to be. Well, uh, f- a friend of mine. 
um, started a, fr- a very close friend of mine started Patron Tequila, and in the in the in, in the beginning, we we would often have a shot of tequila afterwards, or sometimes we had a shot of tequila before, but not very often. Uh-huh. And um, we were, uh, you know, it's funny because Bob Shane, the original member of the group, was known as the whiskey baritone, and uh, so I guess it was sort of a play on that in a way. My uh, my. Uh, Anchors, my singing in the in the anchor style within the trio is 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 much um, smooth. It's it's smoother in a different way than Bob Shane's was, and I try really hard to get to his place because he was so good, mm-hmm. and and people. That's what somebody once said to me. He says, "Well, you, you're kind of patron, patron. He was whiskey, but you're patron." Yeah, <laughs> so that is I so neat. That was, thought that was funny yeah and um you know being the chief executive officer and pretty much the guy who uh you know forefronts keeping the music and the legacy alive i saw that you kind of like got some uh some tutelage i guess from uh, frank werber is that correct oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. how how valuable was that input in your life as far as conducting music not only uh, as entertaining the fans but as on the business aspect i just thought that was another cool opportunity yes um Frank was the one who was often referred to as the fourth member of the trio. Uh-huh. He was the business genius behind it, and he focused on keeping the group together, keeping the group working, keeping all the uh, you know all that stuff happening. Early on, I learned from Frank um, management and how to deal with uh, personalities and all that stuff. Um, and interestingly enough, when I was young, he and I were not very good friends. I don't think he really liked me very much when really? I was a teen, when, when I was a teenager. Yes, I. Ne- he was never very nice or friendly to me. Interestingly enough, though, he and I became really. Re- we didn't see each other for about five or six years, and I ran into him in Los Angeles, and he and I became good friends again. And that's when I really learned about um, how he conducted business in the Kingston Trio from his perspective, mm-hmm. which was a few years after the Kingston Trio retired. Yes, that was re- that was a that was a good experience for me all the way around, and I learned yeah. how he ran the Kingston Trio. That's yep. really cool because, like, if you st- like uh, any any band from that era and, and from now, there's like a direct link to the influence from the Kingston Trio. So it's just like. From from the the front end entertainment to the group all the way into the business, it's just like everything about this group is just well polished, and that's why it resonates sixty plus years. It, they influenced everybody, so it's just really, really neat. Yeah, yeah. It's and really yeah. it's really interesting when you see it because it's hard to believe, but it's true. All these big stars were all were all influenced. Yeah, and, and, you go, and, and how did yeah. that happen? Well, it yeah. happened. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just talent and, and a group of guys that just just had it at their time and place and it just resonated. I mean it's just really really neat and like I said, I'm really grateful that you keep it going. I saw them coming to Franklin. I said, oh man, how groovy is that? Maybe I can get lucky and, and, and talk to you for a little bit. And then I really appreciate you taking the time. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. It's always fun to tell people that what's going on and share it. Believe me. Yeah, is this your? You got to share guys, these things. 
Absolutely, you got you got to. I mean, the music it's it's a great thing. You got to keep it going. Um, have you have you all played in Franklin before, or, or recently anywhere in the Middle Tennessee area? Have you seen the theater? Um, I haven't seen this theater. I know that uh, earlier iteration of the group has played in Franklin, so I do know that. Yeah. But but we haven't, and you know, I know we're everybody's looking forward to it for sure. For yeah. Sure. The yeah the uh, the historical society and and some uh, investors have really. Uh, put in to to make the theater back to its glory state. And when you go downtown, it's lit up. It looks like you're back almost in the 50s and 60s again. So it's it's a really, oh, really? great uh, arena for you guys to be in, and I think everybody's going to really have a good time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Are you well, going to hey, be there? Uh, I'm going to try my best to to be oh. there. I I was late on the late end of tickets, but I'm sure I can uh, find somebody that may or may not have one. I've got at least a couple of friends in my back pocket. So good, good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But anyway, uh, thank you for speaking with me, and uh, safe travels, and, and, and congratulations on that sold-out show, and we will see you when you get here uh, in Franklin, Tennessee. That wraps up another edition of the Josh Belcher Experience Podcast. This one's a post-Halloween all-treats-and-no-tricks edition. Special thanks to music legends Doyle Lawson of the Bluegrass Band Doyle Lawson and Quicksilver, Mike Marvin of the Kingston Trio, comedians Dustin Nickerson and Heather McDonald. I appreciate you taking the time to listen to my little podcast. You keep listening to them and I'll keep making them. Best way to hit me up for a guest you think might be good for the show, Josh Belcher at hotmail.com. And remember, I love you for you and where you're at in life. We'll catch you next week. All right. Adios.